Welcome to Multifamily Syndication Unscripted, a show that teaches investors the truth about multifamily real estate. Your hosts, Ben Labovich, Sam Grooms, and Scott Hollister have more than 30 years of combined experience in real estate and finance. We are active multifamily syndicators and operators, providing you with detailed and cycle-appropriate content. Absolutely no fluff. So, if you want to be smarter about how and where you put your capital to work, listen up. You will learn what works in today's market conditions. Welcome to the Family Syndication Unscripted Show. Here it is. I'm with Ben Leibovich, who's on vacation. Sam, who's on vacation also, but not here today. So, Ben, how you doing? I am still cold. <laughs> I am still in Utah. Um, I am ready to go home, but uh, I am... That's it. <laughs> I'm just ready to go home. <laughs> That's the end of that story. I'm ready to go home. And tomorrow, I will be going home. But Scott and I, even though Sam, on account of me being out of town, uh, decided to do other things, Scott and I thought it was important that we get together, especially since, you know, the alternative, <laughs> in my case. You know, I, I'd rather be sitting in this bedroom recording this stuff, right? So, <laughs> Speak quieter. They might hear you, Ben. Uh, yeah, I want you to get in I'm trouble. Hoping, I'm hoping they never listen to this podcast or I got some issues. Cause, uh, <laughs> in trouble. Yeah, yeah. With with the missus, though. You know, that's that's the big problem. That's a big no-no. And it's her birthday today too, right? Is that true? It was It was yesterday, the 17th. Okay, good. All right. Yesterday. That's why you're able to record today. All right. Yes. Yes. So her mom's birthday is on the uh, 16th and Patricia's birthday is on the 17th. And typically her parents came down to Arizona to see us, but because of health issues and, and, and things like that, we came up here to make it easier for her parents. Uh, and what happens to me is that, uh, you know, I'm here in a downstairs, meaning basement bedroom. And when I arrive, I check my manhood at the door Okay. And my highest and best hope is just to leave with my nuts intact. Because if I don't behave, not only do I check my manhood, but I also lose my, you know, so, so I have to behave. And so I lock myself in this bedroom downstairs so that I can't get in trouble with anybody up there. If I'm down here, you see what I'm saying? I mean, this is how this works right now. Well, for all those listening on the podcast, Ben's actually in the doghouse. He's not in a nice bedroom, so he's he's locked away. They give him, you know, a computer and mic, but that's about it. I, I, that's right. I, like, yes. Go do something <laughs> productive. Stay out of my way. Oh. Yeah, here I am. Uh, what are we talking about today, Scott? I think we're moving on down the line to... Uh, Two of the most guaranteed things. We're talking about one of them, not the other. So death and taxes. We're just going to stick with taxes today. So oh, oh, so we're talking about OPEX now. We're done with the income, right? And now we're starting to put some light on operating expenses, right? Yeah. Cool. Once we think our cool. potential rental income, minus our vacancy, credit losses, and plusing our other income, then we get our gross operating income. Now we get to ding it out with some operating expenses. Top of the line, real estate taxes. Okay. So let me, let me talk a little bit in generalities because the fact that I am in Phoenix and I like Phoenix is not accidental. 
I like it in terms of top line because it's a high growth market. So, you know, the population growth makes me feel safe. I also like it because the rents here, especially when viewed in light of all of the growth, rents here are considerably below national average still, even today, which I also like. But I also like the operating costs because they're lower than just about most marketplaces. So a lot of what drives operating expenses are high property taxes because you guys, we view and we'll go through this and we'll teach you all this, but well, as much of it as we can in, in, in the format of a podcast. But we look at operating expenses on a per unit basis, annualized number. You know, so how much does it take to run per unit annualized? There are people out there who study these things, statisticians, researchers. There are numerous reports, uh, the, the detail, every line item, and how much owners and managers are paying for this stuff. So none of this is very magical, and some municipalities are very clearly higher cost to operate than others. Uh, one of the things that really drives per unit cost up is property tax. The other thing is insurance cost. And then you have the issues with services and repair and maintenance. Now, today we're talking about property taxes. And, you know, property taxes is probably, you know, we start our underwriting on that. And we're talking about that line item in, in, in the first episode having to do with OPEX because it's the single most dangerous line item that gets people in trouble. An assumption is always made that just because your seller is showing having been able to run at a certain tax bill, that you're going to continue that and continue building, maybe inflating a little bit from that. This may or may not be true. And if it's not true, I've seen situations where taxes double and triple if you follow the letter of the law. So let's talk about the different approaches to assessing taxes that different municipalities can take that I've seen. There may be more that I haven't seen, but just that I've seen. The first approach is just to chase the sale. So in other words, if you've you know, purchased for $10 million and the guy that owned the property before you purchased it for $4 million because he bought it at the bottom of the cycle in 2012 and he purchased it for $4 million, his assessed value has gone up, but it was baselined on his purchase price of $4 million. Well, if you happen to be in a municipality that chases, property, uh, the chases sales, then they will automatically jump from where they are right now on this property all the way to $10 million, and they will assess you at that. That's draconian. That, that to have to incorporate that into your underwriting is necessary, but I don't see how it makes it possible to underwrite property in this cycle and be intellectually honest to what potentially is going to happen to property taxes. Some people may say that's unfair. 
A lot of people do say that's unfair. Nonetheless, there are a lot of municipalities who do that exact thing. They chase the sale. Now, sometimes gurus will tell you, oh, don't worry about it. Just buy the LLC. Don't buy the actual building. Buy the entity that the building is in. That way, the assessor doesn't know how much you paid. Well, that's a bunch of bullshit because the assessors aren't necessarily the stupidest people in the world. Uh, they're probably a, a pretty sharp bunch. And so what they will do is they will go and look at your mortgage. And then they will say, okay, this guy got a 75% LTV mortgage. So therefore, we're going to reverse the engineer the numbers back. He must have paid 25% more than what that mortgage is for. And the mortgage is public record. So it's not like it's difficult to find. Okay. Uh, and there you go. They know how much you paid. And then you have to pay an attorney to file a claim because you didn't take a 75% mortgage, you took an 80% mortgage. Therefore, the amount you paid was only 20% more instead of 25% more. But by the time you've paid your attorney, you know, might as well just accept it and be done with it. So it's very volatile, very dangerous. And you just have to, if you're going to buy a building, you have to understand how the property taxes are assessed by the municipality, period. You have to understand this. Well, this system is easy to understand. It may be draconian, but it's easy to understand. The next system we're going to talk about is not easy to understand. It's a system I've paid money to attorneys to explain to me, and I couldn't get clear answers on, even having paid professionals who specialize in this. So the municipalities who want to make it more fair, Okay, it's it's a building just like everybody else. Why are you going to have two buildings sitting next door to each other, one paying taxes here and the other paying taxes here? They're the same age construction. They have the same kind of units. It's unfair. So so what do we do? What do we do to cure the unfairness? Okay, well, what they do is they have this kind of a system where they take a basket of properties. They call them like properties. They take a basket of them and they, they throw out the top line, they throw out the bottom, and they find kind of a median valuation, market valuation for what reasonable is, reasonable for these properties, right? And then, of course, they walk it backwards. If this is the market value, what's the assessed value? And then what's the tax you know, on that assessed value kind of thing? Here's the problem. What exactly is going to make it into the basket of properties? Like you are under contract to buy this asset. You know that the assessor is going to follow that structure, whether they do it annually or once every three years, whatever. At some point, this process is going to take place and you have to account for it. So which properties are going to go into a basket? How is the valuation going to be set? You don't know. And the attorneys don't know either. What mood is the guy sitting at the desk choosing which properties to, to, to put in the basket is going to be in this day? It's a, it's a, they, they want to make it into an efficient system, but it's really a very inefficient system. You can't predict it very well.
So in a marketplace like that, the only thing you have left is to look at the historical valuations and then work it backwards and try to, as a matter of, not of an input, but an output to, to arrive at some kind of percentage relationship. It's scientific, but it's very non-scientific because just because it did that in the past doesn't mean it's going to do that in the future. Okay? But this system means that uh, if, if your median valuation and he, is here, some people are going to end up paying less and some people are going to end up paying more than, than they should based on when they purchased, things like that. But I, 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 maybe this is more fair. Maybe I agree that this is more fair. It's just the system, the, you know, the, the process is mm. so inefficient that it becomes very difficult to predict what's going to happen. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the, the third baseline of, of how property taxes can be looked at. And then finally, you have some municipalities that basically just cap valuations. And, and, and Arizona happens to be one of them. So you have a lot more clarity as you're buying an asset. They're not going to chase your purchase price. And they cap by how much the assessed value can go up and therefore how much your property tax bill can go up. So theoretically, you should be able to estimate worst case scenario. And just leave it at that, which makes the underwriting process much easier. There are caveats to that, but that's beside the point. So the overriding concept here is that I have seen deals both in markets where they chase the purchase price and in markets where they use baskets of properties. I have seen deals in the last two years whereby I was underwriting them and based on the language provided by the municipality, I would need to underwrite something that is currently at $60,000 of property tax. I would have to underwrite $150,000 just based on the language given to me of what is going to happen. Well, obviously that makes it almost impossible to compete because the sellers are selling on in-place net operating income, which includes in-place taxes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you would think that a lot of brokers would have to be intellectually, would choose to be intellectually honest and represent this uh, as, a, as a potential uh, increase. But most brokers don't do it. And those who do do it really understate what, the increase might be. And so it becomes very challenging. And this is, this is why we're discussing this as the first line item and why we have it as the first line item in our actual underwriting. You know, imagine what happens to your, you know, if you have, you know, a gross income of 1.2 million, a gross scheduled income of $1.2 million on a, you know, 120 unit property. And your operating costs are 650000 Imagine what happens to those operating costs if your taxes go up by $50,000, by $75,000. Imagine what happens. That's a, that's a huge hit. You have to underwrite that hit. Um, 
And that's where you have to be careful. Where, you know, you have to question. It. And, and I don't know, like if you're a passive investor and you're investing in a syndication and you are, you're, you're investing in a place where you know there's this system of a basket of properties, this and that and the other, how do you realistically underwrite that? Like I struggled with it as a sponsor to the point where I spoke to the attorneys and even they couldn't tell me definitively what was going to happen. They give me the range. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a passive partner putting money in the deal, how do you underwrite that? It's when it comes to trusting the operator. Yeah, it's trusting the operator and it's discounting your returns because, you know, even the operator can't guarantee what the municipality is going to do. I mean, there's language on the books, but listen, I mean, a basket is a basket. It's like, you know, at some point you just, you you have to, this is why I would never float a deal under 14% IRR on a 10-year hold because a sophisticated investor is going to stress test the crap out of this deal. And they're going to say, okay, if everything went wrong and I got 7.5% IRR, would I be happy with that? And you would not believe how many very sophisticated investors would say, yes, I would be very happy with that because on a net present value, those cash flows over the next 10 years that add up to 7.5% IRR are probably something like 11 to 12% cash on cash on an annualized basis still. So I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, you, you think people are attracted to those double-digit IRRs. No, people just sophisticated people just simply realize with so many moving parts how many things could go wrong and that you have to be able to pencil 14% in order for things to go wrong and you still make it out to where this investment was worthwhile to do and better than keeping your money in bonds and stocks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it, it, property taxes are a huge liability on the underwriting. You just really have to understand how that's handled. Makes sense. And that was the first time I remember hearing about your original deal about a year or so ago almost and capped it at what, 5% per year? Capped at 5% and that's where it stayed. Did it? Good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Makes that's it easy. Where it <laughs> Makes it easy. And, you know, in, in, in Phoenix, they're, they can afford to do that because the population is expanding by so much. That's one reason. Mm-hmm. Second reason, infrastructure is so new. It's not like the Northeast. It's not like Midwest, where everything's crumbling and you need all this money. You know? Hey, hey, hey! Uh, whoa! <laughs> Come to beautiful Connecticut. We have great taxes. I could tell you all about them, Ben. Oh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I can't. They go up way too fast. <laughs> I, I um, you, you you would need to put a gun to my head. I still wouldn't buy in the Northwest, uh, Northeast. It's just it's too much liability and the insurance that's something else we're going to we're going to talk about insurance uh in the next show but you know you go to a place that snows and freezes guess what's going to happen <laughs> insurance costs yep. so anyhow do you have anything to add to this uh to this conversation with with taxes property taxes 
I think it's, it's always the wisdom of it, right? If, if you're a newer syndicator or even your experienced investor, it's what do I do to stress test this just in case, you know, the worst thing you do is you want to lose money, especially from people that you know, like, and trust. I mean, that's, that's just lesson number one. And you got to make sure that you're educating yourself from people who have done it before. And I really love, so let's say we underwrite the deal one way. This is a perfect case scenario. And then we stress test it, right? You ask yourself, am I still going to be happy with that return? I think that's the biggest takeaway. Stress test it, stress test it, stress test it. Does it still work? And then you back into your question as an investor. Right. And, I, you know, I don't think anybody is happy with 7% IRR. I mean, that's not why we invest. Investing is inherently risky. And you are trading the higher risk profile for a potential of a higher return. Mm-hmm. So these are two separate arguments to say, you're not going to say, am I still going to be happy? You're going to say, am I willing to tolerate if everything went wrong and this is what I ended up with? Am I willing to, is, is the potential reward high enough if things do go better than the worst case scenario for me to accept that worst case scenario. I don't think we're going to be happy with the worst case scenario. And frankly, if you, if you focus on the worst case scenario, you shouldn't be a buyer. You know, this is a, I am very bullish on multifamily, but there's people running around saying that, you know, the world is coming to an end, the sky is going to crash, the sun is going to blow up and, and, and every multifamily is going to fall through the ground. I disagree with that point of view. Structurally, I disagree with that point of view. Um, but that's just me. If, if you agree with that, why are you listening to the show and why are you considering either being a sponsor or an investor in multifamily? If you think everything is going to go to hell, don't invest money. Okay. But if you're going to be a logical, reasonable investor, yes, you invest to make money, but you have to underwrite the risk properly and you, you stress test and discount your rents and you stress test everything and, and see what you come up with. And if it's agreeable to you, then the risk is worth the, the investment. hundred percent. There's, there's always risk with the investment and you just got to outweigh worst case scenario. And to me, I'm happy with that seven, eight percent return because at the end of the day, I have something that's tied to an asset that's backed by insurance and I've underwritten the sponsor. I trust them. I know them. What's my alternative? You know, I, there's other stock market options, but again, that's some, and again, we're talking about global economy and, you know, something can do something overseas that can affect this, but I just, I'm a real estate guy through and through. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people aren't and that's fair yeah. enough that's good enough not everybody is not everybody should be it's not right for everybody uh, but you know the silliness of investing because you think that you only focus on the upside you know you have to focus on the downside the whole process of underwriting is asking yourself realistically that's like me saying, I'm going through these line items and I say, realistically, for this asset in this location with this kind of tenant base, what is this going to cost me realistically? 
is there a chance I'll overperform? I would hope so, but I'm not going to underwrite it. So realistically, you know, so as a, as a, as a sponsor, you have to do that. And there's still no guarantees, but certainly, you know, if you don't do it that way, if you just underwrite to perfection, then what do you got? You know? No, I know. And I, I, I just, I, I want to point that out real quick is, is your whistle, like Ben's whistle. That's, that's what I love about that because you asked yourself realistically and, you know, sometimes it's easy to get caught up in a great deal or, you know, something that potentially looks like a great deal, but what's that whistle telling you realistic, what is going to happen? Makes sense. Yeah. All right. I think that's time to wrap up this episode, Ben, for the multifamily syndication unscripted. I'm glad you're out of the doghouse, man. I see light above you. They must have turned the lights back on. They turned light back on. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm going to go upstairs and everything's going to get dark again. Yeah. <laughs> Ben's uh, in the house. Go dark again. <laughs> uh, for myself, Ben Leibovich, Sam Grooms, who is not here, and Scott Hollister, thank you so much for listening to Syndicate, Multifamily Syndication Unscripted. We're tr- still trying to figure out the title, you know. It's not the most polished show. That was never the intention, to be the most polished show. The intention was always to deliver the most value of any show. But we, 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 do, we kind of apologize for kind of not being the most polished bunch you know (laughs) real estate guys more so than marketing guys by a long shot so hopefully the value that you're getting uh more than compensates for the fact that we're not in a fancy studio with fancy microphones you know looking and acting all polished so anyhow that was to make myself feel better more so than anything (laughs) just giving yourself some air hugs i got you ben or scott Sam and Ben, thank you so much for listening to Multifamily Syndication Unscripted. We'll talk to you next time. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Multifamily Syndication Unscripted with your hosts, Ben, Sam, and Scott. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Multifamily Syndication Unscripted. Unscripted.